The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. If you have a Bible, and I certainly hope that you do, whether it's an electronic copy and you need to turn on your Bible app or whatever it is that you have, turn to Matthew chapter 17. Once you have your Bible open to chapter 17 of the book of Matthew, leave it there as we'll be there in just a moment. Before I begin this morning, I I do want to ask everyone the question, and by the very fact that all of us are here this morning, we all have an answer to this question. And the question is simply this, why are you here? Why, why, why do you gather together in fellowship with other believers? Why are you here at New Covenant Community Church? Because something I know that has been very convicting to me this week as I've, as I've looked at the letters that God used Paul to write to different churches, there were, there were two things that Paul was either thankful that churches had prayed for them to have, or was exhorting them to get. And those two things were simply this. It was a faith in Christ and a love for the saints. In almost every letter of the Bible that Paul wrote, that God used Paul to write, those were the two things that were highlighted about the church. A faith in Christ and love for the saints. So I know there's many, obviously, certain many, certainly many reasons as to why we come to church, but if those, I'm convicted that if those two things aren't the number one and two reasons, if those two things aren't at the top of the reasons as to why we come to church, then I'm convinced upon the authority of God's Word that, that we are off, that we're wrong. So let's pray together. Father, I pray that when we come together, the reasoning for it would be the faith that we have in You and the love that we have for each other. Father, I pray for this body of believers. As us together, as Your children, all of us collectively, I pray that gossip, slander, would never creep in unhelpful words. Father, help us to only say things to each other and to others that would edify and build this body of believers, I do pray. Father, I pray that it would be pleasing to you as your word is preached this morning, and let the response of our hearts be worship to you. In Jesus' name, and all the church said, amen. We've been on a five-week journey that today marks the third week of five weeks of a series titled Fisherman to Apostle, Fisherman to Apostle. We're on our way to eventually, at the end of five weeks, to eventually get to the book of 1 Peter. But before we're there, we wanted to take a moment to take a scan through the Gospels to see the relationship that Peter had with Jesus. We don't want to just read the book of 1 Peter and it just be this dry intellectual exercise, but we want to actually see the relationship and how Peter grew in the Lord and how he became a disciple and apostle and how he became these things in week one and two it was very basic level 
Peter being called into ministry, him seeing the deity of Jesus, and Peter recognizing this huge gap between him and Jesus. Peter was recognizing his sinfulness. He also saw God's work. We saw last week how just by virtue of Peter being there with Jesus, peeking over his shoulder, you've heard this saying probably before that more is caught than... Say it. More is caught than taught more is caught than taught and peter is catching on of god's work and what he's watching jesus do and this week in matthew chapter 17 we go over the transfiguration this is one of three events where it was only peter james and john this is one of the three out of all the entirety of scripture where it was just those three together with jesus recorded in scripture for this special special event So without going any further, let's simply read it. Matthew chapter 17, looking to verse 1 and following. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. If you believe that this is God's holy inspired word, say yes. The past couple of weeks have been very simple and what we notice as we progress through this is that the theology or the understanding of who God is is getting deeper it's getting it's getting more detailed more intricate it's 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 more involved with who it is that God is it's getting deeper as it goes along there's no disputing what weeks one and two were about Jesus expressing his deity to Peter Peter recognizing his own sinfulness God Jesus showing Peter God's work it was very simple basic mechanical kind of fundamental things and a lot of people are very confused by the transfiguration you've got Moses and Elijah and his face shining like the sun and them wanting Peter wanting to make three tabernacles they get very confused about it kind of like tax season but here's what Peter and John felt about the transfiguration perhaps first excuse me John 1 verse 14 says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth second Peter chapter 1 verse 16 For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, perhaps Peter and John, when God was using them to write scripture, they weren't perhaps thinking of the transfiguration. They perhaps could have been thinking of just their interaction with Jesus. But as best we can tell from a stack of commentaries and as best as we can tell from scripture, when they're 
recounting the eyewitnesses that they were they, they beheld they they were eyewitnesses of his majesty and they beheld his glory they were referencing the transfiguration my goal this morning is very simple and it's simply to see why the transfiguration is important for us today what what was the information that was expressed in and transferred to us through god's word in the transfiguration and why does it mean anything for us today if we could have an overarching reason of why it's important or just a basic very basic level understanding of what the transfiguration was with jesus face shining his clothes white elijah and moses there and he, they're talking with him if we could have just a basic understanding of why those things are important and it's simply because the transfiguration looked past or beyond our earthly confines and here's what I mean by earthly confines. Raise your hand if you enjoy good food. If anybody doesn't raise their hand, just get out of here. I mean, just that's, there's no reason for you to even be here. No, I'm just kidding. How many of us enjoy a beautiful sunset or good fellowship with a friend or the purpose, the, the, the purpose that we feel in the workplace, hopefully, that we enjoy that feeling of accomplishing something, things of meaning, all these things food sunsets these things that we enjoy has it ever occurred to you church that you have never tasted uncursed food ever the best barbecue that you've ever had and this is where i'm talking about myself has never been anything but cursed food the most beautiful sunset that your eyeballs have ever laid sight on it was a cursed picture seen through cursed eyes. Why are all those things cursed? We know that's true in the book of Genesis because of sin. Every, all these things are earthly confines. The things that we're confined in are cursed and tainted because of sin. Now looking past that, we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul the Apostle quotes Isaiah 64, verse 4, when he says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered the heart of the man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So the transfiguration, looking past our earthly confines, it gives us a glimpse into something very special, some very true, real realities that were not tainted by sin. Looking back to verse 1, it says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. The very first thing that we could say if there was a bullet point or if we were taking notes, and I'm just realizing now how very scholastic this sounds, and I'm not a very scholastic person. The first thing that we could say is the transfiguration expressed realities as they really are. The transfiguration expressed realities as they really are. The Ben Sweeterman translation version of that would say something along the lines of, we see Jesus and his kingdom for what it really is. And here's what I mean by that. There's namely two things that the transfiguration expressed in reality as they really are. Number one would be the glory of Christ. Jesus, as we know from Scripture, did not commit any sin. He was completely without sin. But there were many pieces of him that were like us. He had a face like you and I. 
He had hands. He had clothes. He ate food. He walked around. His feet got dirty. He, he was like us in so many respects. And if you were to poll people, if you were just to go out and take a survey of people in the world and say, who is Jesus Christ of Nazareth? They would probably say something along the lines of, he was a, a Jewish prophet. He was a rabbi who walked along the Sea of Galilee teaching many good principles. If you were to poll Christians, if you were to take a survey of Christians and ask the exact same question, you get probably something pretty similar, hopefully more on the Christ piece than him being the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God. But yeah, we would say that he was a Jewish rabbi. He walked around the Sea of Galilee and surrounding territories, and he was teaching good principles. He was a prophet. Hopefully Christians would say he's the only Son of God, the only way to the Father, the only way to salvation, the only way to be redeemed. And he forgives sinners willfully when they come and repent. But there's so much more than just Jesus walking around in a human body. The thing that we get so stuck on, or at least I know I get so stuck on, is reading through the Gospels, you see the person of Jesus, Jesus, the Word becoming flesh, Him in the flesh, having a face and hands and eating and getting dirty like all of us. But there's so much more to Jesus than simply that. Our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, He has a face a face that shines like the sun. He has clothes that are as white as light. Psalm 113 verse 5 says, Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? When we worship, when we gather together, hopefully for the first and most important cause to worship God because of our faith in Christ, it is so incredibly important that we remember the supremacy of Christ. That He has a face that shines like the sun. Yes, He is the approachable Savior that gathers and welcomes children, young children that the disciples wanted to shoot out of the room. He is the Savior that gathers them in, but He is also the glorious King whose face shines like the sun. Let us never be lax about that. People who study animals... You can be out in the wilderness and, and, and people that have studied animals have noticed that a pack of wolves will generally have one leader. It's the leader of the wolf pack. And all of the other wolves in this wolf pack will, will play. You can watch them out in the springtime in meadows and they'll play with the leader as if the leader is just any other wolf in the pack. And they'll play and they'll be, if you've ever seen like two puppies or two kittens wrestle and play, full-grown wolves will be out in the meadows in springtimes and Yellowstone National Forest and different places in America where there's wolves. And they'll be out there playing with the leader. But when the leader expresses its leadership in any way, whether it's to go this direction or to stop doing this. If the other members of the wolf pack are wise wolves, they'll tuck their tail and they'll put their ear back, the ears back in submission, and they recognize the supremacy of that leader. Let it be the same for us, church, that we recognize that our God and King, yes, He is approachable. He had a face like us, but Him as He really is, the transfiguration expressing this reality as it really is, is that our God has a face that shines like the sun. And praise be unto God that he obtains that much glory. Secondly, the, the transfiguration expressing a reality that as it really is, is the eternality of the human soul. Ben Sweeterman translation would be that human souls live forever. Undoubtedly, Peter, James, and John, up at this high mountain, probably not sure what it is that Jesus is going to have them do, a little bit shocked to see Moses and Elijah. Those guys have been dead for about a thousand years. And he sees them. They 
see them there, undoubtedly. And we know this to be true in Scripture. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but then the judgment. And that is so hard for us to understand in our, in our timely constraint in our minds that are so geared for this restraint of time and the order of time in which we reside. It's hard for us to understand eternity. And perhaps the reality of eternity being expressed through the transfiguration and this event that's being transformed, transfigured right before them, Peter, James, and John, they're starting to realize a thousand years from now I could be doing something like this. Undoubtedly, they would have known much about Elijah and Moses in their Old Testaments. Peter, James, and John would have been well-versed in understanding who these men were. And here they are before them on this mountain. And I'm sure that they, like us, were just so constrained by time that it was eternity is a hard thing for us to even grip and even to fathom. And if you could consider this example, perhaps this will help you start to begin to, to scratch the surface of what it means for the human soul to live in eternity. If you could take a thimble and walk out into the Pacific Ocean and dip a thimble in and take it out and then dump it somewhere else, did you decrease the level of the ocean at all? If you could take a bucket or a barrel or let's say even a tanker truck, let's say every day for a hundred years you take a tanker truck and you remove one tanker truck worth of Pacific Ocean water, and you go dump it elsewhere. How many more hundreds of years will it take you until the Pacific Ocean is a dry creek bed? It'll never happen. It'll never happen. The human soul is eternal. And the scary part is, the, the true part is, is that the human soul will live forever somewhere. Elijah and Moses, a thousand years after their death, we're talking with Jesus. And the question I would have for all of us is, who are we going to be talking to a thousand years from today? This is very difficult for us to grasp, but it expresses through the transfiguration a reality that is so true for us. And even in the word transfiguration, the, where we get the word transfiguration is the same from the root that we get the word metamorphosis. And it, it describes an expressing of glory within. You see, the way that some people see the transfiguration is they, they see it as something that Jesus was showing Peter, James, and John as kind of like this display of something that was just happening and going on and something that Jesus, he put on this glory. But what I'm saying to you is that the biblical way of understanding the transfiguration is it was expressing what was already there. Kind of like a caterpillar that, that wraps itself up in a cocoon and then it emerges later as a butterfly. It didn't put anything new on. It just expressed what was already there. And here's, here's the example I want to give you because I feel like this is so important to understand and seeing the transfiguration for what it truly is. Um, this is a rock out of our parking lot. If I were to take, you didn't expect me to pull that out of my pocket, did you? You're not going to expect what I pull out of my other pocket either. Um, this is a rock. If I were to paint this rock a gold color and put like a little sprinkle on one end of it to make it look shiny... It may look like a ring, but it's just a rock. If I, it, it, all it did, it's a rock really is all it is, but it put something on to look a certain way. And that's how many people see the transfiguration. But what I want to explain to you and what I hope that you would see there, this is actually a real ring. This is actually Abby's ring, believe it or not. It's a gold ring and it has diamonds on it. If I were to paint it gray 
and sprinkle a little bit of dirt on it and cast it out into the parking lot. And then someone were to find it and pick it up and start peeling away the dirt and the paint that made it look like a rock. The flesh that Jesus wore that made him look like you and I. The transfiguration was peeling away of that paint and expressing true realities as they really are. It was simply there to begin with. And this is the God we serve. Not just Jesus in the flesh, but a king who has a face that shines like the sun and and are human souls which live forever. These things are expressed in the transfiguration. And if you would, continue on, look back to Matthew chapter 17 and verse 4. It says, Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, everyone say still speaking. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Verse 6, And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise. Do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So, that's the second part of the event. Peter does what Peter does and opens his mouth very reactively to what is happening around him. And he sees Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And the interesting thing is that he wants to build a tabernacle for all three. Isn't it interesting that he was able to tell the difference between, oh, that's Jesus, that's Elijah, and that's Moses. But apparently there was something about Elijah and Moses that looked like Jesus. There must have been a glory radiating from them. And we do know this to be true. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. What does it mean to be conformed into the image of his Son? It means to be conformed to the image of the Son. That's all it means. That He might be the firstborn among many brethren. They looked like Jesus. And and we know this to be true from many other areas of Scripture, that people are recognizable in heaven. You can recognize who they are. Heaven forbid, let's say that me and Scott die on the way home today. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but let's say that were to be happening. I would be able to recognize him in heaven, and he'd be able to recognize me. But there would be an image in which we had been conformed into. We would have glory radiating from us in the same way that Christ does. Why? Because we're his children, and he adopted us into his kingdom, and we have been conformed into his likeness. Now, that is really good news. And here's why that's good news, is because when we pass from this life into the next, because our human soul is eternal— We're not going to have any pain, no death, no disease, no cancer, no heartbreak, no loneliness, no confusion, no bitterness, no frustration. Let's try this one on for size. No temptation. Yes, I'm excited about that one. That's good news for us because we will be transformed into his image yet still being able to be recognized. Now, isn't it also interesting that God's voice in the cloud corrected Peter. 
Peter wants to make a tabernacle for all three because all three of them, very likely, we know at least Jesus did, but the others also probably had a face shining like the sun and clothes that were also white. And Peter wants to build a tabernacle for all three. And God's voice says, No, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. Don't ever put any other Christian person, pastor, president, anyone on the same level of Christ. They will never be on the same level of Christ. He is the one that is the Son of God and whom God is well pleased, and we are to hear Him only. Another piece that I think is so interesting that I only realized for the very first time this week is that while Jesus is being transfigured and Elijah and Moses are there talking with Jesus. I mean, if you've ever tried to look at the sun, it's very bright. So I have to imagine that Peter, James, and John are shielding their eyes, but they're still able to converse. They're still standing there, and there's something very approachable about this whole situation. And and they're able to talk. Peter's able to say, Jesus, this is good for us to be here. Let us make one tabernacle for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. But the moment that God corrects him, they go from people that are standing there talking with Jesus till God corrects them, and then they fall on the ground with their faces in fear like dead men. There was a huge difference between Jesus being transfigured before them and God's voice. There was an approachable aspect of God and a fearful aspect of God. So the question that hopefully is arising in your heart is, then who is God? Is He the comforting Savior? Or is He a wrathful, vengeful, all-consuming fire? Is He a father that receives the prodigal son with open arms, running to the prodigal son that's returning home? Or is He the one that says, depart from me into eternal fire? I never knew you. Is He the God? Is He the King? Is He the Messiah that says, come unto me and I'll give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Or is he Jesus who says of Judas Iscariot, it would have been better for that man never to have been born? And what I'm going to submit to you this morning, church, is that our God is both. He is both the consuming fire and the wonderful Savior that draws little kids to come and sit on his lap while he prays for them. He is both of those things. And no, God is not having an identity crisis, even though we're right around the corner from Halloween and many of us will be having identity crises. God is not. So the, the, the next point that we could land on is simply this. The expressed natures of God are mutually inclusive. In other words, again, bringing, I don't even know why I made those points the way I did. I don't even like words like that. The way what I'm saying here is that who God is, is he is who he is. Both his natures, it's not like there's two gods that we serve. They are all together at the same time, at one time. The expressed natures of God are mutually inclusive. You cannot have one without the other. And you might say, Pastor Ben, that is very confusing. Why is it that God expresses himself to us in this way where part of the time he's very wrathful and he's burning Sodom and Gomorrah with hellfire and brimstone and other times he's forgiving these prostitute lady that just, you know, was caught in the act of adultery but he sets her completely. Why does God so seemingly on these two sides and it's so confusing? And I would say, no church, that is a wonderful reality of God and here is why it's a wonderful reality of God. Is because when you have somebody sitting across your desk like I did many years ago, a girl whose sister had been raped, 
and her, their family was just being plagued with these injustices and everything seemed to it just put a darkness on this family and a depression on this family by this horrible, heinous crime that had transpired. And now all of a sudden, they're being burdened by all the other injustices in the world. This girl who's mourning for her sister who's suffering and struggling and, and now she's been out of shape about what Hitler did to all of those Jews and black people and people that have mental disabilities. And, and she just feels like the world is just being weighed down by injustices because God is a good God and an all-consuming fire, we can look at those kinds of people square in the face and say, because God is a good God, because He is a good judge, assuming that those wicked, evil people don't come to know Jesus Christ, assuming they are rebellious and don't feel bad or are repentant about their sin, God will punish them. You do not have to worry about that man getting away who, who hurts your sister so deeply because God will right that wrong. He is a just God. Genesis 18, verse 25 says, Shall not the earth, judge of all the earth do right? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He will do right. Hitler, heinous crimes. We know the story of the Holocaust. Assuming, which I think we can probably make the accurate assumption that he did not come to Christ, that he was not repentant of his sins, we can rest assured that God will judge him and he will be punished. Why? Because God loved those Jews. He loved all those black people and all the people that were, had mental handicaps and all the people that Hitler hated. God loved and he will right the wrong. On the flip side of that, Genesis 18.25, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? We also know that God is a gracious God. And when somebody is crying out for repentance, we can look at them honestly and say, like the prophet Isaiah said, that God will abundantly pardon. Travis, do you have that picture? Show me us that picture if we can see it. This is from a few years ago, and just in case you didn't know, Spider-Man's now a Christian. And this is the only, of all my years of ministry, this was the only picture that I've ever had at the moment of someone's conversion. This was me and the person who was discipling me at the time, Tim. He, was, he took young groups of men and he'd take us out to these places where we could witness on the street and share our faith. And we went to this huge, it was a huge Halloween event. And there were people dressed in all kinds of things. It was a crazy event. And, and we were just out talking to people. And I don't even remember how I struck up a conversation with him. I think we were talking about motorcycles or something. But we just start talking. And we start talking. And I, I start to share my faith with him. And, and he, it was the most divine, it was just incredible. It was an amazing divine encounter. He, he starts crying. You can't see in the picture, but his mask, by the time that I was praying for him there, and he was receiving Christ as a Savior, his whole mask was covered in tears. And he said, I mean, it was just so clear. He even said, he was like, I know I'm broken. He was like, I see the brokenness all throughout this world, and I feel the brokenness of sin inside of me, and, and I, I don't want to live like this. I don't, wanna, I don't want God's judgment to come upon me. He told me about his grandmother who had been praying for him, and I'm sitting there just rejoicing with him, and I was able to look at him truthfully, as truthfully as I was able to look into that other girl's eyes and tell her that God will judge the sinner and, and judge sin. I was able to look at him and say, God will forgive you. He's a, he's a God that is slow to anger. He's a merciful God, and He will abundantly pardon you. And He came to knowledge of Jesus Christ. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He will. And His expressed natures, as they truly are, as seen in the transfiguration, 
will do right. It is who God truly is. Transfiguration expressed realities as they really are. Namely, the glory of Christ and the eternality of the human soul and the expressed natures of God are mutually inclusive. So the question I have for us now, and hopefully to circle back to the question I wanted to answer for us this morning and why the transfiguration is important for you and me today as Christians. Why does this seemingly kind of crazy event even mean anything to us? From the theology or the understanding of God that we've extrapolated so far, if God is glorious, if the human soul is eternal, and God has both the tender and the vengeful attributes that we see expressed in the transfiguration for who God is, really is what does that mean it means many things but at the very least at the very most basic understanding it simply means that god is a good god brian if you would come and play for us i pray god is a good god undoubtedly as daisy gets older there's going to be a moment where I take her out on the driveway to ride her tricycle. And and don't get me wrong, there's nothing that brings this daddy more joy than rolling around on the floor with Daisy while we tickle each other. I mean, she's just, she's the most precious, fun. She gets a little cranky around here sometimes, but man, she, it is my joy. It is my joy to just, oh, just to have her close. And she's still so bald. It's just cute. You know, she, I just, I just love the little kid. I love her. But there is undoubtedly coming a day when I will take her out on the driveway to ride her tricycle. And I'm going to take one of those big, fat pieces of chalk, because I'm sure we're going to spoil her with those things too, and I'm going to draw a line in the driveway. And I'm going to say, Daisy, don't go across that line. And what is she going to do? Because there's a sin nature inside of her. She's going to ride across the line. And I'm going to spank that little hiney of hers. Why? Because I love her. I love her so much. So the the giddy, fun daddy that she knows that loves wrestling around with her on the living room floor is also the same father that will inflict pain in her life. Because I love her so much. And the same... And I'm a wicked man. I'm I'm a sinful sinner redeemed by the grace of Jesus. I am a... I don't even hardly even know how to give a good gift to my child, but God being so much better than me, how much more will He deal righteously and perfectly with all injustices? And the more I grow in the Lord, the more I'm realizing it's because of love. It's because of love that God will punish sinners that don't repent, that are rebellious. It's, it's, it's because of love that God will, will punish in hellfire for eternity wicked people who don't repent, that hurt other people. When God is standing there trying to extend to them grace and mercy so that He can abundantly free them of their sin and forgive them, it's because of love and grace and mercy for the people that have been hurt that God will redeem them. He will redeem those people. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I do pray that when we worship you, as we live our lives as your followers, God, God, help us not to be an idolatrous people that builds an image of you that's not even the real thing. 
God, help us to see the sincerity with which you have expressed yourself. You've, you've shown in your word your gift to us. You've shown us your, your vengeful fire that falls on people's iniquities when they are rebellious. And you also show the gracious, merciful, compassionate, wonderful love that no one could ever deserve. And above all that, God, you made a way to bridge that gap between us and you. And for that, God, it's my prayer that we would be a people always eternally thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing?